Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, we have covered the first nine verses, even part of 10, and we're going over 10, 11, and 12 here this evening. And with all deceivableness, deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I ask your blessing upon the message tonight. Lord, I pray that you be glorified and honored. Lord, please help me to stay true to your word. I pray that it would feed your people, that it would help us to grow. Lord, I pray for your mercy, your grace, your help. Lord, please use this to change us and challenge us. And uh, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I pray for that conviction and that drawing, that even this evening they'd repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. This is, I think, the key message of 2 Thessalonians, of the book. I think it's a very important message. It's been a battle. I had something happen that I've never had happen. I had just about this. Uh, no, I did have it finished. I was going back over it. I had about six pages of it done, not counting the notes. This is the final outline. And I remembered I wanted to copy and paste in from a commentator into the notes. I'd forgotten about that, so I went back to do it. And I hit the keyboard somehow, and it just disappeared. It was gone. I was like, hmm. Well, I'll just open it up again. I opened it up, and the only thing there was the title. All of it was gone. I quickly, I quickly, what's that? That's right, it is, exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah Roy would like that, of course, Roy. Yeah. No, um, it's even longer now. I just, I just put everything that was in my notes and I was preparing for it, I threw everything in here. There's just no discernment whatsoever. Now, we're going to be here all night. And... Uh, no, and then I grabbed my phone, and I, I couldn't believe what had just happened. I mean, it was within a minute of me finishing it, and it was just gone. And uh, that's just heart-wrenching. All the hours you put in, there's nothing left of it. And so I'm trying to text Jerry, as fa- or get a hold of Jerry as fast as I can, but i got to type the code in my phone. I was typing so fast, I typed it wrong over and over, and then it locked me out. My own phone locked me out. And then it finally let me in. I called Jerry, and I could tell by Jerry's voice there's basically no hope, but he was going to remote in anyhow, and there was nothing he could do. Um, so, but nonetheless, I took the next two to three hours, and, and let's see what happens right here. And uh, 
So let, let's set the context again because this is important because I will briefly cover near the end a doctrine that we're sometimes taught from this text that isn't true, and context bears that out. So remember, Paul is dealing with the church at Thessalonica, which he has just started. This is a young church. This epistle is not written long after 1 Thessalonians. All right, He is writing this from Corinth when he traveled down there. This is on the exact same mission trip, the second missionary journey. And, of course, he got word that, again, once again, something is taking place. They think they have missed the rapture. They think they're in judgment of Almighty God right now. So he is sending this epistle to reassure them you haven't missed anything. And he gets to the heart of that in chapter 2. He's told them, listen, don't forget what I've already told you. When you know this hasn't happened yet, you're, you're still here. We're not appointed unto wrath. He covered that in First Thessalonians. And then he goes on to give more information of what's going to be taking place when we actually enter that time frame. And, of course, that serves us just of great importance when it comes to eschatology, the doctrine of what is to come, and, and gives us some key, some key points of knowledge that we need. And so he gets into the Antichrist. He lets them know, listen, no, there, th- that day is not going to come until the Antichrist is revealed, or that this guy is actually going to go into the temple, he's going to set himself up as God, and the world is going to worship him and believe this. And so Paul is going through that, and in our text, he is giving more details about the Great Tribulation and the Antichrist. And again, this message is important. This is one we need to listen to. The others, you don't have to. Just this one. But in truth, I want you to look, uh, I want you to look with me real quick at the first couple of words of verse number 11. And for this cause, God shall send. The truth is, that is one of the scariest statements in the entire Bible. God shall send. This is in relation to judgment. That is even the title of this message. This is dealing with Paul getting into God sending judgment upon this earth. Now, we know God is long-suffering, that God is full of mercy. But as we see throughout all of human history, there is a line that can be crossed between wrath and mercy. For the Christian, between mercy and chastisement. There's a line that can be crossed with God where there is no return from that point. None. And as I was preparing this message, I certainly fear our culture has passed that point. And I'm going to make that case. I mentioned last week, matter of fact, I think it was last Wednesday, I even mentioned how it's as if our, our nation has gone insane. I had read earlier that day the story of a teenage girl who went into, I think it was her high school or a local gym locker room, and there was a man showering in there. And of course, she ran out and couldn't believe what she'd seen, but she ended up being the bad person. She was the bad guy in it. It was shocking. And I, and I happened to mention last week it's like everything has gone insane in our culture. We live in a day of insanity like we have never seen before, ever. I think we see in our text, why? Our text is talking about a coming day of judgment, of course, in the Great Tribulation. But as we see throughout the Bible, God does send judgment when needed on a smaller scale throughout history. 
We are living in a day when people truly believe with passion a lie and deny what is actually true. We live in a day when highly educated, intelligent people cannot even answer the question, what is a woman? We've probably all seen it take place before Congress in different settings. Can you tell me what a woman is? I can't. Again, it's as if the culture has gone mad. We have men dressing like women, believing they've convinced themselves that they're a different gender in their mind. And therefore, our culture now is a lot. Hey, if that's what you think, that's fine. Head into the ladies' dressing area. Head into the ladies' restroom. Play men's or play ladies' sports. Absurd. Absurd. However, as I was studying this, It's not that the culture has gone mad. I was wrong. The culture is believing a delusion. A line has been crossed. The transgender movement that we are seeing is demonic and destructive. I mean, you think angels are neither male nor female. Non-binary, as I like to call it today. You can see the demonic influence where they actually believe they're helping the people when it's destructive and hurting. There has been an attack on gender for at least 80 years in trying to minimize distinction between the sexes of male and female. You are blind if you can't see it. And yes, dress has come into play in that battle in the last 80 years. We can all recognize something different has taken place in our culture. It's another level of wicked. People are truly believing a lie. Something that isn't true. Here in 2 Thessalonians Thessalonians is, is not the only time we see God sending judgment in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 6, it was worded like this. My spirit should not always strive with man. Then you get into chapter 7, and then you have God sending rain. Jonah 1, God prepared a wind. Romans 1, God turned them over. Belshazzar crossed this line in Daniel chapter 5. Saul crossed this line in 1 Samuel chapter 15. A line where there is no return. None. There comes a time when God has had enough. When mercy and wrath cross. There really does come a time when it is too late. This can apply throughout Scripture to an individual, to a culture, or to the world. We can think of uh, uh, Pharaoh, Sodom, and Gomorrah, and the world before the flood to demonstrate three of those. Individually, culturally, and throughout the world. So how does this happen? Again, I think we see it in our text. We're not going to learn about events in the Great Tribulation, but I think it's very revealing of what's happening in our day. Paul, of course, is dealing with a strong delusion that will hit the entire world, not just the culture or an individual, but the world. 
It will take place during the Great Tribulation and in place, contextually speaking, three and a half years in when the Antichrist is fully revealed, goes into the temple, and sets himself up as God. That's the context of the chapter. From this, we can learn what we are seeing today and why. What is taking place in our culture and also in the lives of individuals? I'd put this, if you want to write write it down, in three H's, if you will. Heart, how, and heading. Or, I had D's too, desire, delusion, and damnation. So let's dive into this. First off, this deals with the heart. This covers why God sends judgment. Then we're going to deal with how God sends the judgment. And then the heading, the final ultimate end of damnation. Verse number 10. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. We started looking at this verse last week. But we see why in this verse God does send judgment. God sends His judgment. As you see as a result of that, if you go into verse 11, it says, And for this cause, what He just said, they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send. And that goes into the strong delusion. So what we learn here is God sends judgment because of the heart. Where your love is. Our text says people did not have a love for the truth. They have love for, if you go down to verse 12, their pleasure in unrighteousness. Again, I looked at this last week briefly where they received not the love of the, of the truth. And I taught last week how that teaches us the truth of why men really don't convert. It's not a knowledge problem. It's not that men don't know. It's a heart problem. It's not an intellectual problem. It's a moral problem. It's not that men don't know. It's that men don't love truth. They love the darkness. They love the wickedness. That's the issue of why man refuses To convert. To quote one, their unbelief is not a matter of mind, it's not a matter of intellect, it's a matter of heart, it's a matter of affection. It's so true. The truth is, men don't love truth, so they reject it. Coming to Christ is not an intellectual decision, it's a moral one. It's not a question of the mind or thinking, it's a question of the heart. Men love darkness. So we see here the reason why God sent judgment was not because of a lack of knowledge, but because of where their heart was. The people certainly weren't loving truth. They rejected it. They didn't want it. We see, and when I got in it, you can see this throughout all of Scripture. Look at Daniel chapter 5. Look at Daniel chapter 5.
Belshazzar was a man who crossed this line, as I've already mentioned. I want you, I'm not going to read all of the text here. It'll be several verses for time's sake. I'm just going to read one of them. Daniel was driving, letting Belshazzar know about Nebuchadnezzar and how God judged him. And he was going over all of that in context here. And, and again, this is where he had the writing on the wall. He knew, I am in trouble. Daniel is interpreting here. He lets him know everything that Nebuchadnezzar did. And he says this in verse 22. And thou his son, O Belshazzar, has not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. His problem, why God was going to send judgment and he crossed the line, had nothing to do with his knowledge. He had the right knowledge. He knew what to do, what was right. The problem was his heart. An example of somebody, again, who did not love truth, didn't want truth. He wanted what he wanted. It's not a question of intellect. It's a question of the heart. Why do we see God sending judgment in the lives of individuals or in cultures? Because of the heart. Look at Romans chapter 1. Go to Romans chapter 1. Verse 21. I'll come back to this text a little bit later again. But look at this in verse 21. Because that when they knew God... Knowledge is there. They glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. But here, here, what was the problem? But became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. It wasn't because they lacked knowledge. It was where their heart was. It's where their love was. As, as Paul told the Thessalonica church that when this day comes in the great tribulation, as this is taking place there'll be a significant portion of the world population that will refuse truth. Why did he say it? Not because they don't know it, but because they don't love truth. Verse 12, what had their heart was their pleasure in unrighteousness. Romans 1 here, dealing with cultures and individuals, saying they had knowledge, but the problem was the heart. Listen, this is why the Bible stresses you keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. You have to guard your heart. It's so important that you keep your heart tender before God of what... Remember, I covered this actually last year in the marriage retreat. I thought about going into it there, I just don't have time to. Your love is associated with worship. There's great importance of what has your heart. Listen, teenagers, seek God with all your heart. Mom and dad, mother, all of us, be careful what you give your love to. I mean, as parents, we need to teach our children to love God where they can see it in our lives where they can, they can hear it taught in practice. It's so important that we're guarding our heart and what has our affection. Keep your love on God. And that is the question, where is your love? 
What is it that has your heart? It is dangerous ground when something else begins to take that place. Why do you think the greatest command we have is thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might? It becomes very dangerous when something else grabs it. We see how God can send judgment. We see why God sends judgment. The heart isn't right. But now we need to go to the how. Look at back in 2 Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians, verse number 11. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion. So here, now we see what takes place, where it gets to a point, and please understand, we don't know where that point is. Now, we do when it comes to the Great Tribulation, because it spells it out for us. The moment that Antichrist is revealed, God is going to send a strong delusion. This world is. When it comes to individuals, we don't know. We can't see that. But we know there comes a time when a line gets crossed and God sends judgment. Again, we saw that in Romans 1. I'll be going back there in just a few minutes. So we see here that during the Great Tribulation... An event will take place where God shall send strong delusion as a means of judgment. The word means to wander, to forsake the right path. It means to deviate from both doctrine and morals. It's as if God says, listen, you don't want truth. You don't have a love for truth. So God cements their way. When it, once it reaches a point, when, I mean, again, he's full of long-suffering, full of mercy, and full of grace. But there comes that point when it's all right. That's enough. So God sends a delusion to the people who did not love truth, as it says. They didn't want the truth, so he says, here, then you will believe a lie. And at this point, as we see, there is no going back. None. Those who are in this condition, there is no place of repentance. It's over with. It's done. As we'll see that when it gets down to verse 12. <clears throat> the lie that I believe that is being dealt with contextually here, I think is important in, in chapter 2, and that is that when the Antichrist sets himself up and proclaims he is God, I believe that's a lie the world is going to believe. That's why we see in Revelation that when that takes place, the entire world worships him. God's going to send the lie, and they're going to believe it. They're going to see the, as he talked about already in Second Thessalonians, the miracles and the wonders. God's going to send a delusion out, there, and they're actually going to believe the lie that the Antichrist is promoting. Because they refused the love of the truth that they might be saved, the time came when God sent strong delusion and sealed their fate. Now keep in mind, throughout 
the seven years, make no mistake, we went through the book of Revelation. Don't forget this. Really, during the time of the Great Tribulation is still the greatest revival the world will ever see as far as people coming to know Christ. Multitudes upon multitudes. Remember what I said when we went through it. There is literally 144,000 Apostle Paul sitting in the earth. Think about that. 144,000 of them. There are multitudes who will come to Christ. But for those who cross this line, there is no hope. There is no coming back. None. So now, when we come to think think on this on an individual and a cultural level, you begin to see the importance of this truth. You begin to see the importance of truth itself and how you respond to truth. You notice that we've all been there. We have the same flesh. When you hear truth, and it happens to be something that you don't want to let go of, you have a choice to make. Listen, God's long-suffering, and He works, and He works, and He works, and He draws. But it can get to a point where it crosses. Now, for the Christian, it's never wrath. It's never wrath. It's chastisement to death every time. It's chastisement to death. Ask Jonah. But there comes a point when God is working and He's working and He's working. It's kind of like when the children of Israel were in the wilderness. Even Psalms talks about this. And they're there and God is feeding them with manna from heaven. We wish we had the melons. and, And they desire the meat and God says, fine. Remember, he sent the doves, and it just, you know, and then God sent judgment even at that point in time. It's so important how you handle truth. You should be praying, Lord, please give me a love for truth. That you want to know what's right, not just what's convenient. Not just what suits our culture right now, but what's true. It's so important how you respond to truth. Listen, it's simple. If you refuse truth, you're in error. To refuse truth is to embrace error, however you like to justify it in your mind. The danger is it comes to a point where God sins. A form of judgment, a form of chastisement. He says, you know what, if you're not listening, I'm done. If this is the course you have set, I will set it in cement. Again, I don't know when that is. I know God is long-suffering. I know He's full of mercy. I know He's full of grace. But why play with that? Like Paul says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! In our own culture, we have seen a denial of truth for decades. Decades. A turn from God. A turn towards secularism. A turn towards humanism. And then all of a sudden, it's as if we went insane. Really? I mean, I mean who, who, 
of a Christian hasn't looked at this, even others outside, don't even have to be saved, hasn't looked at this and said, what in the world? What? I mean, when a former Olympian, nobody reaches out to help him who believes he's actually a woman and nobody helps him, but wants to, like our new buzzword today, celebrate it. Children staring at the television watching it. Oh, I get to pick? I mean, I was reading articles and preparing for this. I was going to read several. I, I don't have them out here right now. One was by the New York Times. And the guy writing the article realized, we're nuts. He was talking about it in relation to children. How parents are making decisions where children are six, seven, eight years old. They're depressed. They must be transgender. They go to a therapist. The therapist says, start puberty blocking pills. I mean, I'm reading actual cases where therapists are saying that. They go to their doctor and the doctor agrees. We've crossed the line where they're believing. We have intelligent people believing a lie. That's what's taking place right now. God said, listen, remember, I dealt with this and we went through Romans chapter 1. Go there. Let's just go there now. I'm not there in my notes yet. We're going to go there right now. Look at Romans chapter 1. Verse 21, I've already looked at. Because that when they knew God, they glorified not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then we see a progress taking place, God judging them as a result. Verse 24, wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. Now he gives them up to their lust in verse 24. That's a sexual revolution that takes place. Look at verse 26. They still don't turn and worship the, the, the creator as creator. They still worship the creator. Their love is in the wrong place. For this cause, verse 26, God gave them up to vile affections now. For even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature and also the men. Now, it's a homosexual revolution that takes place. And then finally, God gives them over just to the wickedness of their mind in the last bit from 28 on down. It gets to a point, and by the way, again, when you get to this point of God giving you over there is no going back. There's none. We are seeing in the United States of America, truly, people believing. And the word, by the way, that's, and that, that Paul used there implies almost with a passion, believing it. Don't we see that right now? I mean, the absurdity of this. I was reading a story in that New York Times of the parents who took, I'm trying to remember, I think she was 11 when they started it. I think, I read so many accounts, I believe it went like this. She was 11 years old, going through depression, and the cool thing to do nowadays, oh, you could be transgender. Let's stop puberty. So they did that. And then the child, of course, the child believes what's being told them. Oh, okay. So, I'm a female, but I'm actually a male. Okay. They're going to respond to that. 
You know, I heard one guy put it like this. I don't know. He said, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a parent. I'm glad my kids, my mom didn't take me to the doctor. I had my leg cut off and an eye taken out. And so the person was now 22 and the article was written and saying how, just can't believe that they started me on that. But our culture is doing this believing we're being a help. We're helping. No, no. It's simply God turned us over to ourselves and we're believing a delusion. See, the scariest thing in our culture is not liberals. The scariest thing in our culture is not our obsession of sports. The scariest thing in our culture is not even the emergent church and carnal churches. All those things are horrible things and, and greatly hindering uh, on the cause for Christ. But the scariest thing I see in our culture is a delusion to the embracing of what is obviously not true. A man is not a woman. A woman is not a man. There is a danger... When you refuse truth over and over and over, the danger is God turning you over. He says, you know what? I'm going to let you believe your little lie. I'm going to let you believe it with a passion. You know what that will do? Destroy you. We see this with Pharaoh, don't we? Exodus 8.15 Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 8.32, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Exodus 9.12, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't want to get to the place where God no longer works on my heart. We need His intervention and His help. You don't want to be in a place that Christ himself talked about. You have eyes to see but cannot see. You have ears to hear but cannot hear. Same thing. Let me quote from one pastor or commentator. His words are much better than mine. It's a set condition that brings man... That, excuse me. It's a set condition that man brings upon himself by willful unbelief that ultimately becomes a judicial consequence of his own choices, his own course of action, sealing him in the chains of his own iniquity. He refuses light and chooses darkness. Then he'll have darkness and he'll never recognize light. He hardens his heart, then hardened it shall be. He refuses to love of, uh, a love of the truth, then let him receive a lying spirit and embrace the lie of idolatry and worship the man of lawlessness. He spurned eternal life and let him have eternal death. So they reap the reward of their unbelief and God even, and, excuse me, so they reap the reward of their unbelief and God even uses Satan and Antichrist to punish him. In all ages, not just the time of the Antichrist, in all ages, those who persist in sin may find that eventually they won't be able to change the pattern. Now lastly, I'll cover this one quickly the damnation, the heading. 
We saw it dealt with the heart. We saw how God's going to do it when God sends a delusion. He turns you over to yourself. You believe your lie you're in. And then the heading, the direction, the damnation. Verse 12. That they should believe a lie, it concludes verse 11. That they all might be damned. Who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Here is the end. Here is the final result of what will take place, of course, those in the Great Tribulation and to any of those that's happened to in any type of judgment, whether culturally or individual. The result is damnation. The result is hell. Now, let me cover this doctrine real quick. I, 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 probably all of us have been taught at one point or another, I know it was early on, that this portion of verses teaches that once the rapture takes place, that if you have heard the gospel, you cannot be saved after it's done. Now, as we just went through this, you can see that is not what this is saying at all. Is that going to be true for some? Not a doubt in my mind. It will be. There, there will be a cutoff with it. But that's, you would have to be taught that apart from, this, apart from this chapter to come to that conclusion. You would never come to that conclusion by reading First and Second Thessalonians. You would come to the conclusion that at some point during the Great Tribulation, with the revealing of the Antichrist, those who refuse the gospel are done. That's true. That's true at that point. The event that sets it in motion is not the rapture. It's the revealing. It's the revealing. Now, do I believe there are those at the rapture that will be done? I do. Just like I think there's those who are alive right now. They've crossed the line and it's over with. That 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 won't take place. So that is certainly not necessarily true here that that is that. Again, that's something you have to be taught and then come back to the text at a later time. But what this does tell us, again, is that once that line is crossed, there's no going back. The final end is damnation. The final end is hell. And listen, hell is real. That's one of those convenient things that man likes to to deny in truth. That hell is not real. It's a very real place. Very. And God has done all that is necessary to save you. I mean, just like he said earlier, they refuse the love of the truth that they might be saved. They didn't have no desire. In other words, their heart was never set towards truth is what that means. Even when they heard the gospel of what God the Creator did in becoming a man himself and literally taking your place in judgment. And you reject it? I mean, you think what he did. He became sin for you. So that he could save you from that judgment. And God says, you get to this point, you reject this, the time comes when you cross the line and it's over with. Those who cross this line, there is no going back. You are damned. Now, let me say this. There was one guy during this revival thing and and had to do, and partly was uh, this notion of Baptist churches was part of this man's problem. It wasn't this text here. There was a man who thought he had crossed this line. All right? That's because he was, he, he was in, in this revival and they told him that you've got to pray through, you've got to pray through, you're going to have this. And so he was waiting for something, you know, God's spirit to knock him down. So he'd be sick. Well, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, it didn't happen for Peter. It didn't happen for, it didn't happen for anybody. 
But nonetheless, that's what he thought. It didn't happen. So he was convinced he crossed the line. I was like, no, no. Do you understand? Those who cross the line will never desire to be saved. Ever. They will, uh, they've been turned over. They'll believe a lie. Delusions in place. They won't want it. And I'm saying, if you want it, you're not there. You're not there. If somebody desires to be saved, they haven't crossed that point. Do you understand that? Listen, this is something you don't play with. You don't want to cross that line. If you're here right now and you've never truly been converted, well then tonight repent and place your faith in Christ. It's not in the church. It's not in baptism. It's not in some game you're playing. Repent and put your faith in Christ. It's nothing to play with. And as a Christian before chastisement, with heads bowed and eyes closed,